Hey, guys. It's Martine. Uh, if you're a longtime listener of Post Reports, hopefully you've not forgotten who I am, one of the, the hosts of this show. Uh, I'm here today to tell you about a new Washington Post investigative podcast that is coming out at the end of this month. It's something that I've been working on for the better part of a year, and it's called The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop. It is about a mystery, a 40-year-old mystery on the Caribbean island of Grenada, where a revolutionary leader was executed in a coup, and then his body went missing. And we have been trying to figure out what happened to it and whether the U.S. government played a role in any of this. Uh, it's a real fascinating adventure that I've been on trying to solve this. And you might have seen in your Post Reports feed this morning that there's a trailer. You can listen to the trailer, and it'll give you a sense of what we've been working on. So take a listen to that, and then go into your podcast app, subscribe to The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop, so you're ready when the first two episodes come out on October 23rd. Until then, thank you so much, and here's today's Post Reports. Hi, Hazem. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yes. <clears throat> but be aware that the connection might be cut due to the poor internet connection, but now seems okay. It's uh and now you see there is an error strike somewhere. Um Wow, that was the, uh, the sound um, of an airstrike? Just now? Yes. Just right now, yes. Um, I mean, luckily, last two hours was, like, in this neighborhood a bit quiet. So I thought that I would get, like, some sleep, but it <laughs> seems not. Um, unfortunately. Hazem Belusha is reporting for The Post in Gaza. He was there when Israel began launching airstrikes into the area this past weekend. He spoke to my colleague... Rina Flores, late Wednesday night. I'm uh, a Palestinian journalist. I'm based in Gaza. Um, I live in Gaza City. I'm a father of two um, boys. It's not my first time of covering conflicts and, and escalations. Um, but this time, this year, is... Um, it's very intense. Um, as like I'm a father, I take care of my family. There was like harsh and intense and unlimited and continuous bombardment. I couldn't leave the house because of the kids and, and my wife who's like really terrified. Over the last few days, buildings and houses in Gaza have been hit by Israeli airstrikes. The bombing is in retaliation for Hamas attacks in Israel last weekend. Hospitals are overrun. People were sleeping everywhere. Some people, women, children. Um, there were a lot of cars backed in the yard of the hospital. Some people are sleeping in their cars. Um, what shocked me, to be honest, that was a tent there um, near the entrance of the emergency. I wonder what, what is that tent for? 
And the guy told me, this is for the bodies. I said, what? He says, like, why not in the morgue? And he said, like, no enough space in the morgue. So they put the bodies there. So their relatives come and recognize them and take them. And as Israel prepares for a massive ground offensive, Gazans are bracing for the worst. You know, I talk to people about this, you know, some relatives and neighbors and some colleagues and ordinary people as well um, over the phone. You know, I don't know if they expect or aware of how hard the ground invasion would be. Ground invasion would make a difference to the reality they are experiencing now. I mean, I don't think the people would understand this until it happens. But um, of course, it would be very difficult and very hard days. And it would, I think, that would make the war longer and the casualties will be very higher. Azam, I am so thankful um, I was able to talk with you. Um, I cannot imagine. Oh my gosh, I think I heard another airstrike just now. This is the fifth while we are talking. <laughs> oh God, I I can't imagine getting used to something like that. You sound so calm. Well, um, um, maybe I don't know if that is a good thing to be used to that. I don't want to be used to this. Um, um, yeah, but I mean, it's a bit loud, but I can't tell. Um, it's it's far from here. You know, I, I hear the sound of the whistling of the rocket or the bomb from somewhere to like, we say, you know, if you hear it, means that it's not you. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm your guest host, Abba Patrai. It's Thursday, October 12th. Last weekend, more than 1,300 people in Israel were killed in brutal Hamas attacks. President Biden called it the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. Since then, more than 1,350 people in Gaza have been killed in retaliatory strikes. Israel has also imposed a siege over the area. Today, we talk to colleagues on the ground in Israel and Gaza. They'll unpack what we now know about Hamas atrocities in Israel and about the humanitarian crisis unfolding in Gaza as 2 million Palestinians gird themselves for a ground invasion. Our colleague Miriam Berger is reporting from Israel and joined us from there. Miriam, it's been less than a week since Israel declared war on Hamas. That's after militants attacked Israeli communities near the Gaza Strip on Saturday. What does war look like right now? War looks like very different things depending on where you are. Right now on the Israeli side, um, you know, people are really in shock. There continues to be some rockets fired from Gaza Uh, And the country is overall really just coming to terms with what happened on Saturday and starting to, I mean, mobilize and prepare for what is expected to be an imminent uh, and long ground invasion. Uh, So the whole country is really in, uh, you know, preparing for that. Um, On the Gaza side, war is all around you immediately all the time. There's basically no safe place to go anymore in Gaza away from the Israeli bombs. Uh, And so... 
Right now, the only uh, exit out of Gaza is through the Rafah crossing with Egypt. That's been closed for the last few days, um, Egypt says, due to Israeli bombings that damage parts of the crossing. Uh, we don't know when it's going to be open. Uh, and uh, there's basically no electricity or clean water uh, left after also that was cut off. Here in Israel, schools are closed. People are mostly off of work. Everyone knows someone who's, uh, you know, going off to war soon. Uh, a lot of Israelis are trying to get in. Some people are trying to still get out of the country. Uh, so there's really, an, and there's still, every day they're still, you know, pulling out bodies from uh, these uh, towns in Kibbutzim that, along the border that, were, uh, that uh, were attacked by Hamas on Saturday and Sunday. How are civilians in Gaza experiencing the current airstrikes? People are doing what they can to survive. It's, I mean, people kind of describe it as having nowhere to go uh, and just hoping that the place that they decided to be is the safe place. So our colleague Hazem in Gaza, uh, you know, has not only been reporting on all of this, he's also been living through it, the Ms. family. Uh, and that is beyond difficult. They bombed um like an apartment in the back street of my building. When we heard it, like what 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 happened? We didn't know where and and how. I'm in the third floor, so we rushed down. There is a little corridor in the house. It's we thought like this is safe to be between two walls, not exposed to the windows in case there is smash windows or something. So I took the kids, my wife, and we standed there for a bit, and we th we realized there were more airstrikes at that time. It took like five to ten minutes. So we went down, and I saw through the window like it's some injured people there. I don't know why, and I, I don't know how bad. As well as like some some nearby streets where we're hit, and there are some holes. I could see it. So. People are terrified. Uh, they are hungry. They're thirsty. They have no medical care uh, or very limited medical care. The largest uh, main hospital, it's also considered one of the safest places to be, uh, is turning away patients. Uh, so it's just really uh, it's just really a gamble every day about what's going to happen to someone there. How is Hamas responding to these airstrikes? Uh, so Hamas continues to uh, send uh, rockets. Uh, it's much less than it was in the beginning, uh, but still uh, all around southern uh, Israel and then some parts into central and, um, and sort of the areas around Jerusalem. Uh, and it is also holds, we don't know how many uh, Israelis and foreign nationals hostage. It's estimated to be about 100 or 150. Uh, and they are continuing to hold them. Uh, they've threatened to... Uh, kill some of them uh, and, and uh, you know, put those videos out um, if, uh, you know, the airstrikes continue. So it's really, uh, it's a moment in which there's, it, everyone sort of feels like it's going to get a lot, lot worse. And then on top of that, we also have sort of ongoing uh, violence in the West Bank. Uh, this, you know, past year, year and a half, we've seen real escalations in uh, settler violence against Palestinians. Uh, just in the last day, there seems to be uh, five Palestinians killed uh, um, 
by, uh, it appears to be by Israeli settlers in clashes, um, you know, since just since uh, Saturday as well, more than 20 Palestinians have been killed. So there's also these other fronts, um, you know, there's tensions between Israelis and Palestinians, citizens of Israel inside the country, uh, reports of hate crimes against Arabs. It's it's really um, an, a time in which sort of all the friction points are are just overloaded uh, and people are really worried about what's coming next. I want to take a step back for a minute because we now know a lot more about the attack that Hamas launched last weekend. What have we learned in the days since? And what can you tell us that's new? The border fence, border separation uh, between Israel and Gaza uh, is highly fortified. Israel spent billions of dollars on it. Uh, And until Saturday, it was really thought to be largely impenetrable. Uh, And then in this multi-pronged attack that included uh, barrages of rockets and then, um, you know, Hamas militants coming, uh, forging their way through the border uh, itself, uh, coming uh, air gliding um, in, also taking, um, you know, small boats uh, by sea, overrunning these um, small towns and kibbutzim, as these sort of collectives are called, uh, and some Israeli military bases, all within a few hours. Uh, and there was just chaos. No one really knew what was going on. It took hours and hours and hours for uh, you know Israeli soldiers to free some of the residents of these places that were caught in the attack. Uh, and it's taken days for us to understand what really happened. Uh, and so now we're really starting to see the gravity of the situation. So yesterday, um, you know, I visited um, Beri, which is one of the uh, one of the small kibbutz um, near the Gaza border, about a thousand people, and it's one of the worst uh, has some of the worst violence uh, and death toll as well. Um, you know, m- at least 120 residents of the town were killed during the attack. Um, Rescue workers in the IDF have also uncovered um, at least 100 bodies of Hamas militants uh, who were also killed, um, you know, during the counterattack. There's also these hostages being held. People don't really know still the full number of people who died and the number of people who are being held. Every day, those numbers goes up and up and up. If someone's missing, they have basically two options at this point about where they are. They're either dead or they're being held hostage in Gaza. Uh, and every every day, they just learn more about uh, you know who those people are. Tell us a bit more about what that visit through Barry was like. Who showed you around? And was there anybody left when you went there? So all the residents are gone. Um, you know, they're all in hotels uh, put up by the government, such as in one of the hotels that I'm in right now um, by the Dead Sea, or they're being housed by, uh, you know, family, friends, or they're still hospitalized. Uh, and so what right now, these, uh, you know, a lot of these places are closed military zones. So you most people can't even get in. So we were shown around by a general, uh, General Itai Varuv, who had fought in um in Barry, you know, when it was overtaken by Hamas on Saturday and Sunday. I don't want to talk too much, but things that I never saw and never think that I I will see. People that someone cut their hand, people with, that capture and, and their hand was locked and someone kills them. Children in the same room and someone come and kills them all. 15 girls and teenagers that put in the same room, 300 grenades, and this over. 
just the night before, there had been Hamas fighters that um, had engaged uh, in gunfire with Israeli uh, soldiers and were killed. It was a very, very tough fight. A very, very tough you fight between the civilian, between the apartment, between, you know, the people. To imagine that someone will come with full gear, with tank, to fight with hostages, with people, with children around you, it's almost unbelievable. Um, you know, so there's still these small skirmishes that are, are that are happening. Um, so, you know, all the soldiers there are, are, are quite on edge, you know, both because they're afraid of what's lurking around and also because, you know, they're preparing themselves for the next stage of the war and, and you know, very likely may be fighting very soon. And so you, you enter and uh, there's just, you know, soldiers everywhere alongside tanks and like burned out cars. This is a massacre. It's pogrom. It's not something that I never see, and you know, when our grandfather and grandmother talk with us about the pogrom in Europe in the old days, when we see what ISIS did in the other world, to think that in this community, between the grass, between the king and the garden, between the so far people Sorry. with murder. Uh, and then when you're in, you know, it's again, it's a very sort of lush, idyllic kind of place to live uh, with, you know, there's still flower pots with, uh, you know, blooming flowers and um, and all those kind of remnants of what life was alongside just bullet casings and houses are destroyed, burned. The smell of death is just everywhere. So it's very much uh, a kind of two-pronged place right now where it, on the one hand, it's sort of the, the remnants of a massacre. And on the other hand, it's a place where people are preparing uh, for the next stage of war. And then you also think about what's happening across the border uh, or the border that isn't really a border, uh, you know, in Gaza. And, um, you know, also how different life was here versus there and how none of this is ever going to be the same. Uh, and again, you know, on the Israeli side, people have resources. They have um, um, hospitals that work. They have bomb shelters. Those things Gazans do not have. Um, they don't have anyone really helping themselves uh, but themselves and the resources they had that are now dwindling. After the break, we talk about Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's pledge to destroy Hamas and what that means for Gaza and the region. We'll be right back. So Miriam, on Wednesday, we learned that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the leader of the opposition party, Benny Gantz, had formed a unity government in Israel. What does that mean for the war and why is this happening now? So before this, you know, before Saturday, Israel was tearing itself apart um, in this very, very uh, polarizing um divide over these um, this judicial overhaul that Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and his far-right government had put forth. Um, this was sort of the conclusion of four years of, ele- of electoral dysfunction, this whole crisis of constant, constant elections. Uh, so really sort of there had, there's the, the, the sort of emboldenment of the far-right in Israel, uh, these very sort of fundamental questions about well, like what the country is and who it wants to be. Um, that are really coming to the forefront. Uh, and so domestic Israeli politics was really um, dividing Israelis. Uh, and then sort of as soon as this war broke out, um, what had been, you know, con- uh, ongoing weekly protests against Netanyahu stopped. 
you know, people started, uh, you know, mobilizing together. Uh, and so, uh, you know, these key opponents um, who for years have not been able to, uh, you know, form form basically functioning governments um, and agree on sort of, you know, their future for the country uh, have joined forces um, in order to be able to just sort of get through this period. This It doesn't mean that any of those problems are fixed. Um, it doesn't mean that any of those issues are solved. It doesn't mean that um, the corruption cases against Netanyahu are going to go away. It doesn't mean that all the questions about how this happened under his government are going to go away. All of that, um, you know, people sort of say like, yeah, we know that's all there, but it's going to be down the line. So so there's a lot right now that's sort of being pushed to the side in terms of Israel's own issues um, because this war has sort of, you know, just become the, you know, the singular focus of the sort of existential crisis that uh, it feels that it's facing. How are Israeli citizens responding to escalating conflict and the new unity government? Israelis right now aren't thinking about political differences. They're thinking about what's going to happen to, you know, their children when their, um, you know, when their reserve unit is called up or about their friends who lived in one of these uh, towns that was attacked. Uh, so, I, you know, the unity government, I think, kind of reflects the fact that right now for Israelis and Jewish Israelis that the war is uh, all that they're... Um, you know, really focused on. Um, and so uh, what it means for the sort of the broader political divides, like we won't know until this is over and we won't also know what this region looks like once this is over. What do we know about a potential ground invasion by Israel? Uh, we know that it's eminent. Uh, we know that it's going to be bad. Uh, you know, Netanyahu um, has said that, you know, he's going to eliminate Hamas uh, you know, Hamas has uh, effectively controlled the Gaza Strip since 2007. Uh, Israel and um, has controlled most of what goes in and out of it. It's been a really tense situation, you know, for all of those years. Gazans were under siege and blockade, and now it's even intensified siege. There's just really, uh, a, you know, a humanitarian crisis isn't even, even the term for what's happening there. Miriam, so there's obviously very deep and fraught history here. What can you tell us about what's happening and what led to this um, crisis in Gaza? So the Gaza Strip is part of the Palestinian territories. You know, the Oslo Peace Accords in the 90s had sort of slated for a Palestinian state. Uh, this sort of peace paradigm has been the basis of U.S. policy since. Uh, it doesn't really exist on the ground anymore. The possibilities for it, definitely the maps look different for a whole host of reasons. Uh, in Gaza, it's been under um, Israeli-led blockade between Israel and Egypt, who control the borders since 2007 when the Hamas militant uh, Group took took over the territory, um, and it did so in this um, uh, you know violent, bloody fight between them uh, and uh, the Palestinian Authority, which is based in Ramallah in the West Bank, uh, and is uh, led by its sort of rival political party. So, you know, this is sort of internal Palestinian politics as well as Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So there's about 2.3 million people in Gaza, and about two-thirds of them are refugees, um, meaning that their um, descendants were part of um, the hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who were uh, forced out or fled uh, in 1948 during the um, establishment of Israel or 1967 uh, when Israel uh, occupied these territories. So how is the Palestinian political leadership reacting to this war? And what is their relationship like with Hamas? 
The Palestinian leadership uh, in the West Bank is is largely absent from what's happening right now. Um, they are already extremely weakened, both because of their sort of position um, under occupation, but also because of their relationship with Israel. Uh, the Palestinian Authority, uh, which is sort of the main governing, semi-autonomous governing body created through the Oslo Peace Accords, is sort of an interim one, is um, very, very unpopular amongst Palestinians. Uh, you know, it's seen as um, as corrupt and sort of doing the occupation's bidding often. Uh, and so there's a lot of frustrations right now um, at the sort of inability of Palestinians in the West Bank to really do anything as all of this is unfolding in Gaza. Are we seeing this conflict spread into surrounding areas? And how much fear is there that this could become bigger? Uh, yes. So along with, um, you know, the violence uh, between Hamas and uh, Israel, along with the rising uh, violence in the West Bank, we also have uh, the Northern Front, uh, Israel and Lebanon. Uh, they've been exchanging fire of various forms in the last few days. Uh, so Hezbollah the, um, is on along the border uh, area with Lebanon. Um, so are some uh, Palestinian militant groups. It's a very, very combustible situation. Uh, there's definitely like a worry that, you know, either intentionally it will escalate or sort of unintentionally it will escalate. Uh, so the Israelis who live in sort of the, um, in the north and the Golan in that area, some of them have also evacuated. Um, you know, they're also fairly used to live to having to, um, you know, dive into their bomb shelters because of previous conflicts. Uh, and so, if you know Lebanon also enters the fray, Israel is is one basically sort of attacked on almost all fronts, uh, except for its border with Egypt, and it also would uh, you know really just have this whole volatile situation, uh, bringing in also sort of uh, the re- geopolitics of of countries like uh, Iran as well, and that's really quite scary, I think, for all the people who live in this region, as well as the choices that their leaders are going to make, which will have an impact on millions and millions of lives. Prime Minister Netanyahu has vowed to, quote, crush and destroy Hamas. What do you what do you make of that? And what exactly could that mean? So that's very, very scary language uh, for people inside Gaza. Uh, You know, we don't quite know how all of this is going to turn out. But, you know, Netanyahu is saying that he wants to destroy uh, Hamas in Gaza. You can't destroy Hamas without also killing, kicking out all the Palestinian civilians, all the Gazans who live there as well. And so, you know, this really raises the stakes about what's going to be the future of, uh, you know, not only Hamas, but also all the people that have, you know, have lived under Hamas rule in, uh, in the Gaza Strip since 2007. Thank you so much, Miriam. Thank you for having me. Miriam Berger covers the Middle East for The Post. Zoanne Murphy and John Gergberg contributed reporting. That's it for Post Reports. Thank you for listening. Today's show was produced by Rena Flores and Eliza Dennis. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Maggie Penman. Thank you to Hazem Belusha and Jesse Messner-Hage. If you haven't already listened to the trailer for Martine's new series, go do that now. You can find it in your Post Reports feed or search for The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop in your podcast app. I'm Abba Patrai. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. 
I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.